just as a praise God. You know, when I when I do assessments sometimes, and I get it, church planters are trying to go to the to the most densest populations. Where are where are the people? That's where I want to be. That's where I want to reach. So when you hear church planter talking about, he's going to a small town with a lot of challenges, um, without the glitz and the glamour of church planting. We praise God for that. We need to cover him in prayer. Amen. Um, let us know how can we be praying for you. Uh, we want to support you. How can we do that? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, the way you can be praying for me and my family uh, in this season, um, I have recently transitioned into doing this full time, and so uh, talk about a, a step of faith. <laughs> yeah. I thought I could be bivocational and plan a church at the same time. But the reality is that the uh, challenges that come along with planting a church is such that uh, we needed to be all in, uh, yeah. given to this vision. And so uh, we want to um, have you all partner with us in prayer. Um, obviously, we are um, attempting to lift Jesus high and exalt him in that city so that the lost can come to saving uh, knowledge of Jesus Christ and that they can experience the life-transforming uh, power of the gospel in their lives. And so pray for the lost there. Um, if you uh, have a desire and a heart to uh, support church planting, uh, we are uh, in need of people to be a part of our ministry support team. Uh, we're looking for individuals who will partner with us and give towards advancing uh, the kingdom work there in Leesburg. And so uh, if you have a desire and a heart to sow into uh, a gospel ministry that is serious about um, exalting Christ and bringing people um, 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 life uh, through him, uh, then then uh, we want to invite you uh, to be a part of that. And so, um, and if you know people in that area, you know, if you know people in that area who um, are connected or not connected with a church, uh, we would love to get connected with them. And uh, you can see me after this service, and I would love to just kind of uh, connect with you then. Let's pray for Ryan, and he's going to share God's word with us. Father, thank you again for your servant. Um, use him for your glory, I pray. Uh, help him to lift Christ high so we can be transformed. Thank you, thank you. Y'all give it up for your pastor. Y'all give it up for your pastor. Amen. Well, God bless you. So, so good to be here. Like I said, uh, my wife is not able to be with us. Obviously, her body going through all these changes with a fourth uh, baby on the way. Um, she, she opted to stay behind and pray for us this morning. And so um, y'all uh, keep her in your prayers as we, as we share with you. And so, yeah, I uh, met your pastor, Rodney, um, about three years ago now uh, in 2016 at a, a conference that I was attending. And um, so he's been, we've been in contact ever since then, and he's been a, a great uh, uh, mentor and coach through this season um, through uh, church planting. Uh, see your first lady here. All right, good to see you. She was on our assessment team, uh, and so I got to make sure I act right this morning before she goes back and tells on me. Um, so I want to make sure we, we uh, do the word of God due diligence this morning. Um, so you're in a series, Summer in Psalms, and so that is encouraging because I want to preach this morning from the Psalms, um, and I want to invite you, if you do have a Bible, to meet me in Psalm 67. 
Psalm 67. And I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard uh, Bible, Christian Standard Bible. So if you want to follow along, we'll be in Psalm 67. If you have it, say amen. If you, if you need a minute, just say, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Okay. Psalms, open up your Bible just to the middle. Okay, just split it right down the middle. You should find Psalms. Psalm 67. And it reads, May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me this morning as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word? Gracious God, we are uh, grateful for an opportunity to stand in the midst of your people. God, as we have gathered from various parts of this city and come to worship and praise you, God, we thank you for an opportunity to lift up your name in song. God, to um, exalt you above all things uh, this morning. And so, God, inasmuch as we have come to worship you, God, and uh, as we come to the, the word, God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. God, we thank you that you have um, saved us, that you have called us to yourself, that you have redeemed us, that you have lifted us from uh, the, the pit, and you've placed us in the palm of your hand, God. You've placed us and made us a part of your family, God. And so, God, we, 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 we take it as no small thing what you have done for us in Christ. And so this morning, God, we uh, lift you up and we magnify you. And so, God, as we preach this morning, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, God, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up. And as you are lifted up, you would draw men, women, boys, and girls to yourself. And God will be careful to give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise this morning. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our God and our strength and our Redeemer. And it's in your name that we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Uh, this morning, I want to use by way of a title for us to consider the Christian's motivation for missional living. The Christian's motivation for missional living. Many of you are uh, maybe familiar with the film uh, that was um, shown in 1995, Apollo 13. Uh, Apollo 13 depicted a, an event in history which occurred in April of 1970, uh, motivated by a sense of curiosity and adventure and accomplishment. Uh, um, 
uh, NASA launched three astronauts into space um, to have their third team land on the moon. Now, depending on where you are with if the U.S. actually landed on the moon or if it was a conspiracy, if you have questions about that, email me uh, at rod at uh, gospelfellowship.net, and I'd love to take your questions uh, about that. But I'm not here to get into a debate back and forth about uh, conspiracy theories and whatnot. But all I'm saying is that these guys were motivated to go on this mission, and so they launched this team into outer space. And uh, something interesting that uh, we see in the history of, of this mission is that it was um, known as a uh, mission of failed success. It was a mission of failed success. Two days into this mission, there was an explosion inside the oxygen tank um, of, of one of the engines, and, and, and it led Captain Jack Swigert to radio back to headquarters and the command center with a message, Houston, we've had a problem. And what started as a mission with a specific goal and specific intentions was now compromised, leaving them to alter their course and ultimately to abort their mission. And so the mission failed because they never landed on the moon. But it was deemed a success because they ultimately did get home safely. If you're familiar with the Westminster Catechism, the opening question um, uh, is asked, what is the chief end of man? And it's answered to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But uh, 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 a very um, quick reading of Genesis, you'll land on Genesis 3 and see that something went wrong. In Genesis 3, man's mission doesn't go as planned. There was an explosion in humanity's proverbial oxygen tank that has caused sin and death. And because of the fall of mankind, uh, we've all uh, radioed to our hearts, humanity, we have a problem. And because of this problem, our mission has been altered and we've aborted the original course that we have been launched into. And at the core of our problem, at, 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 at the deep uh, uh, root of our heart's problem, our mission has uh, been altered, and uh, we have a deep distortion within our worship so that we do not glorify God as we ought, and therefore we can't enjoy him at all, let alone forever. And so the problem of sin has caused us to misunderstand our existence, and it's caused us uh, to uh, misunderstand our very motivation for living where Nassau was motivated by landing on the moon, humanity at large is motivated by landing on God's throne. See, we're all motivated by something. And we live in a, in a culture and a society that throws all types of different things 
at us to have us uh, pursue those things. We're motivated sexually by sexual gratification. We're motivated educationally, so we pursue knowledge. We're motivated by finances, so we pursue careers that will give us uh, the most money and the most income. We're uh, motivated by people liking us, and so uh, we're motivated uh, emotionally, and we're motivated relationally and, and familially that we pursue perfect family, perfect spouses. All these things we're in pursuit of. Our mission has been altered. And even though these things in and of themselves are not all bad, they are not the ultimate pursuit for the believer. For the believer, we have uh, been called into a much greater and much higher calling, a much higher mission, as it were. C.S. Lewis writes that it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased, he says. Far too easily pleased. You see, many times what motivates us directly reflects our sinful condition. A condition that has warped our minds, has polluted our understanding. So we're often pleased by lesser things. And so we've been living a life uh, motivated by acquiring more and more things and things. And really what's happening is that our motivation is actually um, communicating what it is that we worship. It's actually communicating the depths of our sinful condition uh, within our heart. And if we were to really be honest and peel back the layers of our hearts this morning, we'd find that all of us are motivated by our worship of self. All of us are motivated to be uh, our own God, as it were, to be our own king, as it were, our own queen, as it were. But what if I told you this morning that your life is not all about you? That we were created by God for God. As a believer, you and I have been called to a much greater and a much higher mission in life. That one that is not uh, um, this, this, this earthly, temporary satisfaction, but one that is motivated by eternal significance in the life to come. So your question may be, what does any of this have to do with Psalm 67? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because this morning, this psalm is really a petition on behalf of uh, the Psalter for God's blessing so that God would be praised and worshiped and glorified among all the nations of the earth. One commentator writes it when speaking of this psalm. He says, uh, if a psalm was ever written around the promises to Abraham that he would be both blessed and made a blessing, it could well have been such as this. The song begins at home and returns to pause there a moment before the end, but its thought 
always flies to the distant peoples and to what awaits them when the blessing that has reached us reaches all. The blessing of Abraham that God communicates in Genesis 12 was that he would be a blessing to the nations of the earth. That his seed, his offspring would bless ultimately all the nations of the earth. And throughout the story of redemptive history, God has used the church summoning them on mission to go into the world to communicate the excellencies of him who called us from darkness into this marvelous light, the message of the gospel he has given to the church to equip us to go on mission to be able to bless all those we come in contact with, our neighbors and the nations. And so this life this morning that that we have in Christ, if we have been saved, is not merely just a saved life, it's a sent life. We're sent on mission with God. That no matter where you or I go, no matter what you or I do, it's all about living on mission with God for the glory of God among the nations and among our neighbors. So this kind of life is motivated by three things we find in our text. The number one thing we see, the first thing is uh, grace, and that's ultimately grace towards his people. In verse 1, he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Selah. So here the, the Psalter quotes a very familiar line from uh, number 6 known as the Aaronic blessing. Aaron was Moses' brother who was, uh, God gives Moses a command to tell, Mo, uh, uh, to tell Aaron, this is how you are to uh, bless the people of Israel. This, this blessing was to come from the priest to the people. And here the Psalter is actually uh, personally and directly petitioning God for this blessing. But before he gets to blessing, he appeals to God's grace. You see, it's the grace of God that always, always, always precedes the blessing of God. That grace always comes before blessing. Their neighbors on the same street. Say it another way. Um, so no, no, no blessing of God has ever tiptoed past the grace of God. No blessing of God has ever tiptoed past the grace of God. The Psalter is fully aware of his sin. He's fully aware of the sin of Israel. Israel was a nation chosen by God to reflect uh, and be a light to all other nations, reflecting uh, God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's justice, God's standards, God's goodness. In fact, when we see... Um, uh, him mentioned in verse 6 that uh, the earth has produced its harvest. It was this harvest that he was looking upon as a means of God's blessing, that it was to be refl a reflection of who God is as a provider. And many times uh, for us, we, we, 
we, we, we don't really trust God the way we ought, and so we don't really see his grace the way we ought, and so we don't really understand uh, God to be the provider uh, that, that, that we need because oftentimes our understanding of grace is thwarted. But all we have to do is look around at the things that God has already given to us, provided us with, to see that it's all a blessing of God. Many times we want these big things to happen in order to understand, well, I need this to happen, and then it'll, it'll show me that God is gracious. But the reality is all you have to do is look around. In fact, this morning, if you were just to inhale and exhale, that's a means of God's grace to you. Because the, fact, the very fact that you are alive, sitting here in this room, breathing God's air, is a testament that God has been gracious to you. See, God demonstrates his provision for the needs of his people, uh, causing other nations to reverence him and stand in awe of who he is. And this isn't because Israel was so mighty. It's, it's not because Israel was so good. If you know anything of the history of Israel, they were uh, a wretched people, but somebody might say they were also a ratchet people. They were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. Israel was the, 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 the child or the person in your life that got on your last nerve, your reserve nerve. That one way in the back that you had on reserve. This is who Israel was. They were a people who would um, often trust God and follow God only to disobey God and then repent and God show mercy and then follow God only to continue this pattern over and over and over and over again. See, the Psalter is aware of this, and this is why grace is his first appeal. And this morning, Gospel Fellowship, grace has to be our first appeal. Grace, the grace of God, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. It's the grace of God. So when we recognize the depths of our own sin, we, we cast ourselves upon the grace of God. And here's the thing. If we say, 1 John, that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Each and every one of us is, 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 is tainted and, 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 uh, and broken by, by sin. We are dead, as the Bible says, in our sin. If you're here and you don't really have a concept of what sin really is, you've heard it, you've heard it, you've heard it, but you don't really understand what it is, just think about it this way. God has a standard, and you, you have failed to live up to that standard. That, that, that you have not hit the, the, the mark that God has set. That you have rebelled against God. That you have committed spiritual crime against God, therefore you stand guilty in God's court. The Bible reminds us that the penalty for sin is death. And so the reality, brothers and sisters, this morning is that if each and every one of us is dead in sin, where's the hope for us? You see, death, death, death is not... Uh, uh, 
only a a a, a corruption of our mortality it, it also corrupts and and it kills our works there's no way that you can earn your way to God's favor the Psalter is showing us first and foremost that we must appeal to God's grace because unless God stoops down and graciously uh, considers his people then we will not experience the blessing of God in being a part of his great story, a part of his great family, and sent on his great mission. It has to be the right perspective of grace. And, and, and this is important because until we understand how much we need grace, we don't understand how much others need grace. So many times we don't, we don't live out this mission because we have a, a warped view of, of grace, that we've been saved and now I'm good. And because I'm good, that's all that really matters. And let's be honest, we don't really care for people like we, we should, right? And so when we get saved, it's like, thank you, Lord, for saving me. And we kick back and we get comfortable and our little Christian uh, huddles, huddle and cuddle, as one of my friends says. But we got to see our sense of uh, grace uh, that God has given us in order so that we can see, uh, number two, that we're motivated by the gospel, the salvation among the nations. Verse two, he says, so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. The Psalter makes it abundantly clear that the reason he's asking for the blessing is not self-centered, it's God-centered. It's God-centered. It reminds me of, of where James, uh, in James 4, says, you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend on your own pleasure. So often we're focused on consuming God's gifts for selfish reasons. And so many of us have been um, conditioned, as it were, to uh, go to church in order to try to twist God's arm to get, a, get him to bless us with stuff we want so we can consume it for ourselves. The reality is when we read passages like Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We, we emphasize the desires of your heart part and, 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 and disconnect it from the delight yourself in the Lord. But when you delight yourself in the Lord, what begins to start happening to your heart? You start to desire the things of God. You start to want what God wants. You start to uh, pursue what, what God desires you to pursue. And so when you ask him for certain things, it's in accordance and in line with his will. But we can never disconnect the delight from the desire. And so we have to understand that the, some of the reason that we don't uh, uh, experience certain things in our life is because God is actually with, uh, withholding and restraining certain blessings from us because he's a good, good father. 
If we're all honest in the room, many of us do struggle with our inner Veruca Salt. Anybody know who Veruca Salt is? Veruca Salt, Willy Wonka, anybody ever seen that movie? Well, those of you who haven't seen the movie, that's part of your homework this week. But you got to go home and look at the old version, not the Johnny Depp, not the Johnny Depp version. Way back, Gene Wilder. Veruca Salt was this spoiled brat. She wanted to go into uh, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, and so her father buys all these chocolate bars, and she finally gets this golden ticket to enter into this chocolate factory with four other kids. And she's walking through the chocolate factory, and they come to one of the rooms where these geese are laying golden eggs. And she is so filled with uh, desire for that geese with golden egg that she throws a temper tantrum and stomps around the room, and she winds up on this platform that determines good egg from bad egg. And as she's on that platform, the lever trans uh, moves to bad, and she falls through to her demise. And if we're honest this morning, the blessings of God can sometimes be like that. We want what we want. We stomp around the room. God, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Only if he was to give it to us, it actually would lead to our demise. And so God restrains, he, he withholds the blessing. But here's the reality of the blessing that was coming through Abraham. The blessing ultimately was God himself. The blessing was ultimately God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. But so often, we, we see these things as the ultimate blessing. But the blessing is God himself. This is why he says, make your face to shine on us. It's in the face of God, ultimately, where the blessing of God is. And God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So when you and I begin to understand that the true purpose of the blessing is so that we might leverage the blessing to make God known, it will change how you live. Our motivation must be the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so the gospel, this is why you have to ask yourself why do I desperately want that job? Why do I desperately want that degree? Why do I uh, desperately want to live in that new house in that new neighborhood? Why do I want that perfect spouse? Why do we want these things? Is it so you can have something someone else doesn't? But the reason that God has blessed you is ultimately so that you will use it to bring others to him because when the gospel has, has changed you, you'll want it to change everyone else. Whether it be your, 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 your co-workers, your, your family members, uh, those uh, uh, where you go uh, do life uh, in the grocery store, you, you see people as, as part of, 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 of God's plan. And God uses people and he sends them on mission in order to impact other people. So the tension for many of us is, like we said earlier, 
We don't really care about people like we should. And I would say, brothers and sisters, that's because we've forgotten grace. We've forgotten the gospel. And we've forgotten why God, in fact, blesses us the way in which he blesses us. But can you imagine, if you will, the type of impact that you can have in Boynton Beach and the surrounding areas and even the nations if, if you would uh, go from being uh, self-absorbed to sin-absorbed? That the reality of this auditorium would be filled with people uh, by, by you just taking one person, being responsible for one person, that person being responsible for one person. And as you go and as you're doing life, one person coming to faith in Christ Jesus will then begin this multiplication, this ripple effect. So grace must motivate us. The gospel must motivate us. But ultimately, it's the worship of God. The glory must motivate us. In verses 3 through 5, we see he says, let the peoples praise you and let the peoples, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy for you judge the peoples of earth with fairness and lead the nations on the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. And so we see that right in the middle of this psalm, the Psalter actually positions worship. The, 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 there's, a, there's a Hebrew technique uh, uh, within poetry that they center uh, what they want to emphasize at the middle of the poem. And so at the middle of the song, and so what this, this, this Psalter is doing is he's centering your understanding and your perspective on Worship of God. The worship of God. John Piper writes in Let the Nations Be Glad that worship is the ultimate goal of missions. Worship is the ultimate goal of missions. He goes on to say that God is most glorified in us when you are most satisfied in him. This means that uh, your and my desire to be satisfied is ultimately fulfilled to the point that we are satisfied in God. And so when we, when we have um, worship as the central focus, then we'll live in a different way because we want others to come to a place where they are ultimately worshiping God with how they live. Amen? And so... Um, one commentator writes it this way. He says, the life of the church is created and shaped by the gospel, which reveals the nature of the inbreaking rule of God. By that gospel life and proclamation, she, the church, calls the nations to worship God. The, the Psalter is calling us, he's calling the people of God and the people of the earth to lift up Praise to God because he is the only one who is worthy. We talked about the, 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 the blessing of Abraham. Ultimately, Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that blessing. Paul tells us in Galatians that Christ himself is the seed of Abraham. 
ultimately, when we see in, 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 in the final picture, uh, John gives us a vision in Revelation that, that at the final picture, around the throne of God will be people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And that Jesus himself would be at the center of that worship. And that all of us will be there uh, worshiping God. There will no longer be a need to evangelize in heaven. There's no longer going to be a need for you to, to argue with somebody about, about uh, the existence of God. There's no longer going to uh, remain a, 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 a back and forth about if Jesus is who he says he is because we'll see him as he is. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so you and I must understand that, 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 that whether it's now in the present, willingly, or then, forcefully, every knee has got to bow. And everyone will know that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, brothers and sisters, there is no other name under heaven given whereby men and women must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. And this is why we emphasize Christ so much. He is at the center of our faith because Christ did what we could not do. He lives the life that we could not live. He dies the death that we could not die so that he could redeem us and reconcile us with the Father. But hear, hear me now. The, the, the the cross is both vertical and horizontal. And so it connects us with God, the Father, but it also connects us with everyone else. And so God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so we ought to be about the business of living our lives in such a way that we are going equipped with the gospel so that no matter where we find ourselves, in what type of relationship we find ourselves in, we are leveraging that relationship ultimately for the worship of God so that he might be made known. And this gives us a reason to live. It gives us the motivation for mission. We're not just uh, doing church on the weekend. We don't just want to become uh, comfortable in the habit of gathering together on Sunday and then going Monday through Saturday doing what we want to do, living how we want to live. We've been invited into the story to participate in the story. And God has given us a responsibility to live in such a way, as Jeff Vanderstelt says, uh, that, th that our lives would demand a gospel explanation. That when people see how you live your life, how you talk and how you interact with people, they will, they, they will, they will see Christ being exalted through you. That ultimately, worship is at the center of your life and so it's at the center of your life's mission. The song says, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If creation sings your praises, so will I. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. 
If everything exists to lift you high, so will I. And that's our call, brothers and sisters, to, to, to worship God. That God, anything that God has ever created has been created to bring God glory, to bring God worship. And even our very lives bring God worship. So the, the question that, that we have to ask ourselves is, is my life a reflection of the God I worship? Can people look at my schedule? Can people look at my checkbook? Can people look at uh, my church membership, how I serve, how I live day to day, and can they determine that you are walking with the Lord, that you are worshiping God with your life? And the reality is we all struggle. We all struggle with this, that we all struggle to give God what is rightfully his, and that everything exists to bring him honor and glory. And this is why the gospel is so encouraging to us, because when we realize that we can't do enough and realize that he did everything in Christ, that he's done the work, that he's died for us, that he's taken our sin in exchange, given us his righteousness. And now when God looks at us, he looks at us through the lens of the righteousness of Christ. We see that God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our life. And we exalt him. We lift him up because we know that we cannot do it in and of ourselves. There's no one in here in this room that can say they've perfectly honored God 100% of the time. My high school coach used to tell us when we was out there on the football field, he said, uh, now, it's, it's mathematically impossible to uh, actually give 120%. It's just math. And he was a math teacher, so it just drove him crazy. 120%. You can't do that, he would say. But you can give 100%, 100% of the time. That's what he would say. But now, if we were to look at that through the lens of the Christian life, how many of us get to say <laughs> that I've given 100%, 100% of the time. And this is why Jesus, this is why Jesus is everything to us. Because Jesus leaves his throne in heaven. And he, he knew that we were not going to be able to satisfy the payment that sin left us in debt to God. And so God bankrupts heaven by sending Jesus into time and history. And Jesus comes and perfectly honors God and lives perfectly and then goes to the cross to die on the cross for you and for me so that we could become the righteousness of God. And beloved, here it is. God demonstrates his love in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, Oh, when Pastor Rodney has it all together, then I'll die for him. He didn't say, when you stop doing this and when you stop doing that, then I'll die. He says, while you were still sinners, Christ died. And this is what, this is what uh, 
puts uh, the Christian faith far and above any other faith because it's the work of our God on behalf of sinful people to bring us to himself. And this ought to motivate us each and every single day. When you get uh, uh, tired, when you get weary, when you become exhausted, remember grace. Remember grace. That where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Remember the gospel that uh, God has done for you what you could not do for yourself. And ultimately, remember the glory of God, that it is the worship of God from all the things, all the people that he has made that ultimately is why he created you and I. So today, if you're here and you have never uh, surrendered yourself and thrown yourself at the mercy of God's grace, this morning I'm inviting you to do that because all of us, at one point or another, before we've uh, surrendered ourselves to Christ, stand in our objects of his wrath, as Ephesians 2 reminds us, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us, made us alive even when we were dead. It is by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift. And so this morning, all I want to do this morning is invite you to receive the gift. And if you know anything about a gift, you know you can't earn it. It's freely given. God gives you this gift wrapped in the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and, 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 and you have forgotten the grace of God in your life, I want to remind you this morning to go back to that landmark where God found you in your sin while you were going astray. He called you to himself and transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Remember that God has given you uh, and equipped you with the message of the gospel so that you can speak that message to those you come in contact with. So that you can live your life in such a way that others would see this gospel demonstrated by you. And ultimately when we stand around the throne. Christ himself would be at the center of our worship, and we, you and I, the nations, will be represented around the throne, lifting our hands, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. Would you bow with me? Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for your grace. God, we confess so many times that, that, that we forget your grace. We forget what you have done for us. And so we become uh, less motivated. We become uh, comfortable, God. We, we become um, lackadaisical in our 
Christian walk because we've forgotten grace. But I pray that you would remind us, and in reminding us about your grace, God, that you would re-alive uh, in our hearts to join with you on mission. God, thank you for this glorious gospel that has uh, changed us, that has saved us, that Jesus Christ has done uh, what we could not do in living the perfect life and dying this painful death to take upon himself the penalty, the punishment, and the power of sin and uh, in dying, God, defeated, and in rising again from the dead three days later, God, he has destroyed our last and our greatest enemy, that is death. God, may we give you glory, may we give you honor, may we give you worship, because you are far and above, ultimately worthy, because you stand above all things. God, you have spoken this world into existence, and you sustain it all by the word of your power. And so there is no one more fitting and more worthy of worship than you. So, God, I pray that you would fix our affections to you this morning, that we will worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>